With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's good, folks? Welcome to another episode of the Cover One Film Room, the only show that gives you the hows and the whys behind the good and the bad of the Buffalo Bills. I'm one of your two hosts this evening, Anthony Prohaska, joined as always by Eric Turner. And Eric, we had an episode planned, which we're still going to execute tonight. But this Wednesday, man, like I feel like it was like a free agency day where it's just like all these signings and additions. And it's like got to kind of scrap and kind of scramble and redo some things and change formats. And it wasn't a free agent day, but we had a coaching removal. We had a coaching announcement and hire different pieces and guys falling into place for the coaching staff, which ironically all happening on the defensive side of the ball. Yes. And we had this defensive episode <laughs> planned. Very funny how this kind of came together and how this Wednesday went, but it's been a bit of a scramble these last, what, like four or five hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nonetheless, here we are off season conversation. Yeah, you know, we're trying to set up these two episodes this week and next week to kind of go over the guys and players that the Bills are going to lose on the offense and defensive side of the ball and then highlight the traits of that position that, you know, the the team likes and what they look for. And it's something we do every year. And it's it's like, okay, it takes time to set all of those things up and kind of outline and, and give out the templates for what traits that, you know, they look for. And then all of a sudden these coaching changes happen and they're major changes almost to the point where everything that we've planned for tonight (laughs) is thrown out the window because if things change, like we assume it will, or at least tweaked uh, a little amount to like we think will happen in the future, it's going to obviously change what these scouts and, you know, personnel are looking for this off season and free agency in the draft. So, a lot of changes happened just in the last couple hours. We're going to push through it with what we have planned, but we're also kind of, you know, dip our toes in the water into these other things that may occur based on those coaching changes and things that are happening, um, you know, from the front office all the way down. So sit, sit down, sit back, grab a drink, uh, enjoy this episode. It's probably going to be a long one. It was probably gonna be a long one without yeah. all of these changes. So, um, hopefully you guys hang out with us the rest of the night to, uh, kind of break everything down. Absolutely. And, uh, strap in, get ready, Eric, I guess we should probably do the same. 
Let's start with the offensive side of the ball. Mr. Ronald Curry announced um, as the Bills QB coach today. Um, the chat was popping off in conversation with him. Greg was talking about him a bunch as like the number one high school and basketball recruit. There's clips of him like throwing up alley-oops to Julius Peppers at North Carolina, like against Wake Forest, like all this really cool stuff uh, with Ronald Curry in terms of his you know athletic background and sports history. But as far as Bills fans are concerned, he is the new quarterbacks coach um, for this Buffalo Bills team. Has that relationship from with Brady with that time in mm-hmm. New Orleans. Um, so, you know, they have some sort of rapport and relationship. But it's nice to see, I guess, kind of, I don't want to say consistency, but the the similar philosophical ideologies kind of coming together with what he and Brady can represent. And knowing that, you know, Brady's bringing in a guy who he has familiarity with um, in terms of, because this is something that we're going to talk about a bunch this offseason. And I think that gets lost in the conversation last year. What Brady was doing was just tweaking and doing different things to Ken Dorsey's offense. Like you can't uninstall and install a new offense midseason. We talk about it a bunch. So we've yet to see what Joe Brady's actual offense with the Buffalo Bills looks like. So bringing in somebody who he's got that familiarity and rapport with obviously will help him to be able to do that this offseason. Yeah, you know, he's run a similar offense with him. Um, He was a QB coach recently and the past game coordinator for the Saints. Um, kind of from that Sean Payton, Pete Carmichael type uh, coaching tree. Mm. And, you know, there was rumors or, or speculation that Curry decided to bow out from the Saints organization because um, he was offered, uh, I believe, as a wide receiver position uh, coach. Um, and he bowed out because he does want to climb that ladder. You know, that's one thing that we always talk about with this coaching staff. They like to develop not only players, but coaches. And we saw it. When they brought in Joe Brady a couple of years ago to study under Ken Dorsey. And when Ken Dorsey didn't work out, Joe Brady gets elevated. And so they do like to promote from within for the most part. Uh, obviously, they brought Curry in from the outside. So um, it's it's another thing where, you know, they're trying to find the next guy up. You know, if something happens with Brady, if he does, you know, spectacular next year or two, he's going to get a job somewhere else. And so they'll have someone else in the pipeline already in queue. So it's 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 how good businesses run things and good organizations run things. And so um, it's good for Brady. He has a familiarity with him. Obviously Um, I'm sure they speak a lot of the same language when it comes to what Brady wants to install as far as like his concepts and scheme. And so that'll be interesting to see. And one thing they do have in common, it's something that we talked about when they brought Brady on board halfway through last year is they like to target running backs. The saints last year with, Again, with Curry as a pass game coordinator, they targeted the running backs 21.1% of the time. That was ninth overall. That was better than the Bills, even when you just kind of cut the season in half and, and, and limit it to Brady's call, a play calling. They like to throw it to the running backs, and rightfully so, because that's where their personnel with Alvin Kamara is kind of like geared towards. So I don't think that's going to change many things. I think James Cook is still going to cook. Absolutely. And, and, you know, with Curry being in that Saints organization offensively from 2016, yeah, just think of how many times Mark Ingram was getting the ball in the past game and creatively. And then, yeah, Alvin Kamara and all those pieces. And you know what? It's funny too. Like I didn't agree with the comp, but so many people were talking about cook when he came out and they're like, Oh, he's like Alvin Kamara and Alvin Kamara. And now he's got like a QB coach and offensive coordinator that are like all about getting the running back, the ball, like in the past game and kind of unleashing that skill set and that piece. Um, and I, I alluded to it, you know, kind of uh, as I teased you up there, I, I just like the ability of Brady to have more support and the, the verbiage statement by you was so great. Like 
because it's a legitimate thing to uninstall an offense and install a new one, like putting in your spin on things, your verbiage, and so much of it, so many concepts are the same from offense to offense, but there's different words, there's different terminology, there's different pacing. It might be you know more verbose, it might be less, and just having another guy in the room that Joe Brady knows has his back, thinks at the same on the same wavelength that he does. Really, um, you know, driving home that piece um, is nice for this offense as we continue to see, you know, where they go and going forward. And you had a great comment that Steve uh, echoed in the chat. You know, Steve saying as long as McDermott is the coach, the QB coach may be the biggest uh, hire next yeah. to coordinator because if we're looking at that, you know, succession pipeline. If we're continuing to go with this theory of the Bills offense continues to do well, offensive coordinators get looks to go somewhere else. You need to keep having that bench talent and that kind of, you know, next in line in theory is usually that QB coach. So solid on that uh, side of the ball for the Buffalo Bills that announcement today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and it makes sense because, you know, that QB coach is in the room with your star quarterback every single day. And so he gets to know the inner workings and, and, and mentality of, you know, Josh Allen. And so it, it does make sense. I mean, everyone knows that, you know, quarterbacks kind of rule the entire NFL. And so um, getting Curry in the room with uh, Josh Allen is going to be a good thing. And again, so there's now another guy, you know, in on the roster in the room that can translate and think just like Joe Brady wants Josh Allen to think. Absolutely. And like we alluded to, that wasn't the only news that yeah. happened today. It was, uh, it just seemed like every like hour, every new, I was talking to you offline before we went live. Like I had a very busy day that wasn't Twitter related. And every time I opened, like something new kept happening. And I was just, it just <laughs> was a whirlwind. Um, and all, you know, being bills are electric saying it today, you know, bills announcing three new mm-hmm. hires today was very interesting. Yeah. Just how everything kind of came in succession one after the other. Um, but nonetheless, here we are. And Eric, you have it pulled up here. Christian Taylor named uh, defensive quality control coach. And then Mr. Jamila Dye named cornerbacks coach. And then that also connected to the John Butler news, which we'll yes. get into in a bit as well. Yeah, a lot with just a lot happening. Yeah, quality control coach on the defensive oh. side. It's it's one of the lower tier, you know, type coaching positions. They do a lot of like <clears throat> tying up the loose ends, you know, whether that's with the scout teams you know, play cards, stuff like that. <clears throat> Coffee sometimes, like just I was literally going to say like, like lattes <laughs> and beverages. Yeah. Um, and it, it is kind of interesting to see that he has, because I'm not going to add, I'm not going to lie. I don't know a lot about this guy, but the, the ties to William and Mary are hilarious. Right. You know, with McDermott and Brady and whatnot. Like that's interesting. But as does our electric says in our chat, you know, he had, he's most of his works on the offensive side of the ball, mm-hmm. but this is a thing that, you know, a lot of these up and coming coaches have to go through the, the cross training and mm-hmm. McDermott, again, they've always believed in that. And so, um, I, I think that is, that's not necessarily a bad thing to learn all of the positions is, is important, you know, and that's, how do you think Bill Belichick became Bill Belichick? Cause he literally learned like every position, everything, you know, that you can as a coach. So that cross training is a good thing. It's never a bad thing. Um, so as far as Christian Taylor goes, we'll see, we'll see how he, um, you know, rises through the ranks, obviously a William and Mary grad, um, played some ball, played quarterback in college there. Um, and he's been coaching, uh, at the collegiate level for 16 years, according to buffalobills.com. So, uh, interesting there, but obviously the big one for, for me was the addition of Jamil Adai. Um, and when they named him the cornerbacks coach, our, you know, our ears are like, red flags and alerts all popped up and I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. 
So you have Joe Dana as the safeties coach. You've had uh, Butler as the passing game coordinator, mm-hmm. secondary coach. Um, so he obviously works a bunch with the cornerbacks and nickels. And so then you're like, okay, if he's a cornerbacks coach, well, then what hat is Butler going to be wearing? And so, of course, I'm doing research on this guy, Adai. Uh, obviously, um, he coached at Miami last year, so you have some familiarity with him, right? Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am pumped. I'm pumped. I'll, I'll hold my thoughts until it goes to me. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and, and so I'm doing my research on him and I start watching this clinic on what he teaches, his techniques and you know, like bare bone stuff like stances, you know, mm. and press technique. And I'm like, this clinic is on man coverage. I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on. He coached at Minnesota with Marcus West, who's the Bills D-line coach now. He played football with him in Indianapolis with the Colts, with Marcus West. And this is like a man coverage clinic. And I'm, I'm like listening to all this technique. And one thing that came up is something that we talked about with Kyrie Elam in the last couple of years, two hand jams. And then I'm like, hold on. I'm pretty sure John Butler teaches it differently. Mm. So then I go and watch the video from the clinic I watched from Butler. And he's like, yeah, we only two hand jam and zone. And then I, lock, I go back to the video of Jamila Dyke <laughs> teaching the technique. And he only two hand jams. In press man coverage, just so Wait I'm like, <laughs> those are contrasting ph- philosophies there, almost completely opposite ends of the spectrum type yeah. things. So what's going to give? And then within half an hour, we find out that John Butler and the Bills mutually parted ways. Yeah, that it, it's funny. That's well. So my first thing was <laughs> Cam Kitchens is coming to Buffalo, and I'm pumped. Yes. That was my immediate thing. Yeah. Um, and you know, that, but that, that's a good call too. Like I, you know, you had, you know, we're going to get into that um, in a bit with some of these videos here, not to kind of spoil anything, but yeah. yeah, that was my first thought too. Like the man coverage piece and just how, how Miami has operated the past couple of years. And even so he was Miami's DB's coach, secondary coach, you know, however you want to verbalize it uh, from 2022 and 2023 year before that he was with Georgia for one year in 2021. Um, so you, you know, the, the easy match coverage transition for both of those defenses, then how that plays into what the bills do easy, nice, simple transition. But yeah, from a Miami perspective, that defense is very, you know, nickel based, but their ends, like their four down ends are more hybrid guys. They blitz a lot. They they do run a lot of simulateds and creepers, Mm -hmm. but it is very leverage based man coverage based. You get a lot of you know, match coverage when they're in too high, but it's a lot of cover one, cover three, and then quarters and everything is leverage and eyes and spacing. And you get a lot, a lot of pre-snap communication from front to back, but especially on the back end, because there are rules and attachments to everything that's happening from a personnel and alignment perspective. And Miami's defense, and for for those who don't know, and this isn't just a credit to a die, it's a credit to defensive coordinator Lance Gidry, um, who really crushed it this year. But even the year before, when a die was there under a different coaching staff, Miami's had a very, very, very good defense the past two years. They've been held back as a team by the inconsistency on offense and inconsistency with the quarterback. But from a coaching standpoint and a design standpoint, schematically, Miami's defense has been one of the most fun to watch the past couple of years because of how they play on the forefront, how they attack and just bring the aggression. They play fast. They play physical going forward, sideline to sideline. It meshes well with a lot of the philosophical changes we saw in the Bills defense under Sean McDermott last year that we potentially, you know, from an identity standpoint, maybe think we'll continue to see under Bobby Babich. Um, But just what he brings, uh, again, it's different versus what Butler had, but I'm really excited for it. Yeah, I, I found some stats on the Hurricanes defense last year. 
and I put it in a in a tweet. And I said, "Don't read into this too much." <laughs> and I really need to take my own advice here. Uh, but the Hurricanes played cover one, so man coverage thirty seven percent last season with a die on that staff as a secondary coach, which was not the ninth most among all FBS schools. Now I was like, "All right, he was there for two years. Let's look at those numbers." Over the last two seasons, they played cover one 30.5% of the time. That was 10th yeah. overall. The Bills last year played man coverage 15% of the time. Ooh. So it is going to be <laughs> bit quite of a difference. difference. Now, yeah, bit of yeah. A difference. Will they play it that, that often? Probably not. But it leads into the discussion of like, well, why would you make that change, right? Why would you make this type of change? It's It seems quite drastic. Now, will it be that drastic? Probably not. But we ask ourselves, why do you want – a guy to come in and teach completely opposite, you know, man coverage techniques, mm. uh, you know, opposed to what Butler did. And so listen to some of these numbers from the Bills in man coverage last year. They were 26th in yards per attempt versus man. They allowed a 61% completion percentage. That was 27th overall, so not good. They allowed eight touchdowns versus man coverage, only three in zone coverage. And then in man coverage, they only intercepted three passes to 15 interceptions in zone. So when you play, when you're as aggressive as Sean McDermott was last year, but you play a lot of zone on the back end of that, you're going to give up some pretty easy passes and then some yards after the catch uh, in a lot of those situations. And so maybe, again, this is my assumption, maybe he did not like the balance of the techniques that Butler was teaching when they did go to man coverage. Obviously, they're very efficient and proficient in zone coverage. Mm-hmm. That's been their bread and butter for years. And mm-hmm. Butler is very good at that, especially mm-hmm. when we're talking getting the most out of guys that aren't the most talented, mm-hmm. having them play off coverage, trusting their vision, trusting their eyes, and making plays on the ball, coming up in as a cloud corner, making tackles. Maybe maybe they just want something a little like more balanced when they do go to man coverage. And from some of the clinics that we've you know watched with Butler, some with a die now, and just from watching the film, maybe they just want some different techniques taught, and that's why they went to a die in this situation at this moment with the roster to- turnover that we're going to talk about here in a little bit. I think mm-hmm. now is a chance, and to be honest, a lot of us have been calling for this for a couple of years now, ever since the Bengals game, I think everyone's been kind of us. wanting yeah. this, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I, so it kind of, that is my theory. That's my assumption based on what we have right now. No. And uh, I'm in a similar boat. I think like you look at the type of attack minded nature, the bills had more of uh, this past season under Sean McDermott. And like you said, it pairs well, especially in like, like situationally, especially on third downs, like it pairs well with more of a man coverage base on the back end where you are trying to squeeze windows and squeeze airspace. I'm always going to go back to um, that Georgia clinic with Dan Lan. No, not Dan Lanning, whoever took over Dan Lanning a couple years ago. No, and Lanning is part of it too. Cause he was still on the Georgia mm-hmm. staff at that time um, where they're talking They're the whole odd mirror and simulated pressure package yeah. clinic. And they talk about, why they like to go to two man on third down and you're trying to reduce that airspace, give receivers, no, no room to breathe, no room to operate. And granted, you have to have the athletes to do that, but there's also something to be said for the way you are coached in that situation. And a die is very adept. Oh, that kind of sounds similar. That's funny. I didn't plan that Uh, (laughs) is very adept at teaching those leverage techniques, teaching those keys with your eyes, your footwork, your hand placement, even that two hand jam piece, which I'm not a fan of the two hand jam, but if you Mm -hmm. want to roll with it, God bless you. 
they've been adept at that at Miami and just with how physical they are and knowing how proficient Georgia was from a man coverage perspective, especially on third down, even from a match coverage standpoint, where when you're playing more of that man match, it's literally like man coverage. It's just based off certain keys and clues once the play develops, but teaching that leverage and having the success that a die has had with the coaching staffs. He's been a part of the last three years with Georgia for one and Miami for two. I I'm in a similar boat. Like you have someone who's very good at teaching the players how to operate in that form and fashion. Mm-hmm. And that's still a winning formula. You see, we see it with a lot of top defenses today. Look at what the chiefs do. Look at what the Baltimore Ravens do. The Niners are kind of an anomaly, but they'll work it in from time to time. Like top defenses, in down certain down and distances, especially on third down, they'll throw out man coverage. It might be two men, it might be cover one, but they lean into that and then get crazy with what they do up front, and it causes havoc for offenses. Yeah, and, and you know, guys in the chat are saying that Butler will get picked up by another team. I believe it. I think he will. Um, Butler wanted to call the defense. I think that could be true as well. Maybe uh, McDermott went on a limb for Bobby Babbage. You know, promoted him. Uh, Eric Washington. You know, he's gone. He went to the Bears. Maybe Butler was like, you know what? That's not right. I, we don't, it, that could be very well true. Absolutely. I mean, we don't, we won't know that uh, anytime soon. I don't think. Um, but in the end, I do trust McDermott. I, I trust him. He's still going to be in charge, whether he's calling the players or not, he's going to have his, uh, you know, thumbprint on that defense. Um, but in the end, like we said, when we were in mobile, I'm excited. I'm excited. We we're nerds when it comes to this kind of stuff Absolutely. and the possibilities that may happen, how this is going to affect, the show tonight, but also the draft, um, all those things, all those dominoes, right? We, we love this stuff. So the possibilities now, uh, you know, that we can see with the, the coaching changes, the personnel changes. Um, I, I agree with Steve here. He says, nice to see McDermott hiring some younger minds. Yeah. You know, bringing in, you know, younger minds, more energy. You're going to be having on that side of the ball. You're having a, a huge turnover mm-hmm. and you're going to have a lot of young guys playing. So having, players uh, having coaches that can connect with those players, you know, is a huge thing and development. So, and I do think that um, someone in the chat, Jeffrey says Elam is the answer. Yeah. Right. I think (laughs) this is a win for Elam. I think it is because everything that Adai teaches is right up his alley, right? It's totally right up his alley, man. If you could put, if you could put Kyrie Elam into the Miami hurricane defense, the past couple of years, like, man, he might be coming out of the draft as like cornerback number one, because of how well he would have fit from a skill set and play perspective. Yeah. He that's, he's seeing this news and it's just like, (laughs) I feel like looking to the heavens and saying, thank you. Yeah. So before we move on, I want to play this video real quick of Adai. This is the clinic I was telling you guys about. Um, and, and it was mainly technique, not necessarily coverage, but I'm talking like stances, alignments, just basic stuff like where to align leverage wise inside shade, outside shade. Um, and then he, the thing that kind of resonates with me uh, from this clinic is that he, his most important thing was keys, be paying attention to your keys and your eyes. And yep. John Butler said the same stuff, but again, it's a different, it's from a different perspective when you're playing with zone eyes versus man eyes. You know, zone eyes, you're keeping your eyes on the uh, the receiver through your peripheral to the quarterback. When you're playing with man eyes, it's like you're locked onto the waistband, and that's what a die teaches. He tells his corners and DBs to stare at the waistband and, and watch him, N- nothing else. Don't peek at the quarterback at the top of the route. Watch him. And so uh, it, it's such a contrast. But, again, just like on the offense, offensive side of the ball, you have a lot of things that do overlap. They're just taught differently based on mm-hmm. the scheme or concept. But – 
I thought this was cool when he was talking about this uh, cat defense. I don't know if you guys ever heard of this, but I'll play this video and then we'll get into uh, some of the stuff that we had originally planned for tonight. Um, anyone know cat defense? Here? No? The cat defense? All right, so when I first got into college, uh, I asked my coach, what, what kind of schemes do we run? And he said, we run the cat defense. And I looked at him just as you guys did, like he had some growing out of his forehead. And uh, he goes, yeah, cat defense. You, you got that cat. You got that cat. Right. So we're going we're gonna to talk about cat defense today, which is basically man coverage, man-to-man -man coverage. Okay, that would be what we'll start with, and then we'll go through there. And um, see, and like, cat that's, that's big because, you know, we talk about techniques and, when you know, yeah. what they're going to start teaching these guys. They're not bringing this guy in to teach him zone, guys. This is a big, like, alert. Like, hello. Hey, things are changing. So – Something to keep an eye on. Again, he has obviously he's a cornerback coach. He's he's been in the league a bunch and at the college level teaching secondary. So I'm sure he's, he has zone techniques too. But yeah. when you see stuff like this, this is probably where they're going to hang their hat on a lot of those big time situations. As I said, they need to get better against man coverage, and they have corners that can do it. They just need to refine that technique. And see that, so that's my next thought of, you know, jumping to the Bills corner grouping. We, everybody and their mother at this point is, I think, already immediately thinking like, oh, more man coverage. So Kyrie Elam, okay, but especially press man. Oh, man, Kyrie Elam. We'll see what happens with Tredavious White and what his journey back looks like. But you're looking at what you think are probably going to be the top two corners for the Bills going into 2024, which are Rasul Douglas and Christian Benford. Bigger body corners, physical Christian Benford from the time that he started seeing snaps as a rookie in the preseason. I mean, actually, they were doing a decent amount of press with him and Elam yeah. uh, two preseason seasons ago as, as rookies. Benford is a bigger body corner. He loves physicality. So getting up into the kitchen of receivers and not just not just getting up there and playing press. And that's also a thing, too, I think we need to distinguish real quick. Like there's a difference mm -hmm. between playing press and then pressing and jamming just because you're in press doesn't necessarily mean you're going for a jam. You can be in press and have a true press where you're getting your hands on the, on the receiver and trying to reroute them or lucky land casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky, lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha. In my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You can have more of a soft shoe press, which is more uh, Revis-like, where you're in right. press and then on the snap, you kind of step back and you're more mirroring the wide receiver type. But Benford loves to get his hands on receivers, play to his size, play to his strength and physicality and athleticism. Rasul Douglas, similar piece as well. Long arms, good hand placement. You know, he loves to get physical. He plays with an edge. I'm in the same boat mentally as you thinking, like, especially in key situations, but overall, like, seeing more physicality and man aspects on the outside and how that funnels into the defense and then how it connects with what they can do up front, 
what they right. do on the back end with the safeties. Like, I, I think it's an expectation we should have uh, right now just because of a die coming in. But then also thinking about how it fits with not just Kyrie Elam, but Christian Benford and Rasul Douglas, who both had very good years last year. We know they can function in zone, but leaning into a bit more man, I think enhances the usage of their skill set even further. Yeah, and something that we've always talked about with the philosophy of the McDermott defense is they create a lot of havoc plays, a lot of tackle for losses, turnovers, forced fumbles, and all that. <clears throat> but when they play those zone coverages, a lot of those two high looks, you're getting those easy passes underneath out in space, and then you're missing tackles a lot of time. I mean, they miss a ton of tackles. It's not just against the run. Um, but again, those that defensive structure and philosophy has a lot to do with that. That entire you know approach to defense has a lot to do with that. So I think that, again, maybe they tweak some things in regards to that. Babbage, you know, again, puts his own uh, thumbprint on that and that defense and that philosophy and kind of changes things up a little bit. And maybe it kind of minimizes some of those explosive plays that happen because of missed tackles because they're in too high coverage and you only have one guy at the ball, you're not getting population there. The windows are a lot, you know, larger. So all of those things are factors. And so it's going to be a fun offseason when we talk about um free agent acquisitions when we talk about drafts on that side of the ball we saw it from the chiefs a couple of years ago where mm-hmm. they had to because of injuries and contracts had to change a lot in their secondary um from a personnel standpoint um but also because of you know uh from a schematic standpoint because of those guys getting in there so i think on the defensive side of the ball getting younger coaches getting new blood in there mm-hmm. along with new personnel not necessarily in the secondary, but some of the scheme stuff on top of the stuff we're going to talk about here in the next minute. Um, I think now's the time. Now's the time to pivot. If there was a time, it's now. I think it's a fair point. Yeah, you are getting further away from Leslie Frazier holistically owning the defense. You started to dip your toe into that more aggressive man, somewhat nature under Sean McDermott. And they're, they're still going to be a primarily like zone based defense. This isn't going to be a team that's going to come out and start playing like 65% man and 70% man. That's just not how teams can live. But yeah, from a situational standpoint, um, you should expect it if you're a Bills fan this year. Expect more man, expect more physicality on the outside just mm-hmm. because of the additions that we've seen, the changes, the nature of the game, and what tendencies tend to work situationally, especially the ones we've talked about, and then the die coming in and all the pairings and everything. It's just kind of, again, kind of like we always say, putting those little puzzle pieces together, picking up the breadcrumbs, and putting that whole uh, that whole story together there. Yeah, so let's get into some of the stuff that we planned for tonight. Um, and starting on the defensive side of the ball. And again, we just talked about it for a few minutes and how things are going to change on that side of the ball. The bills are currently sixth for 2024 in spending at 49.82% of their salary cap is, um, allocated to the defensive side of the ball. Now that's saying a lot because they are obviously losing several guys uh, along that D line. You know, the guys like Daquan Jones, AJ Epinesa. Um, and, and so some really big pieces, especially in the defensive line. Um, so let's start with that defensive tackle position. As I said, Daquan Jones, he's a free agent. Uh, Jordan Phillips almost sounds like he's going to retire. Um, a depth tackle, Tim Settle, who is awfully disappointing this past uh, couple of years. Um, they're obviously losing him. So up the middle of this defense is gutted aside from Ed Oliver. 
Yeah, it's if you're looking at the current defensive tackles under contract for 2024, it's Ed Oliver, Ilianku, and then you have Cameron Klein, who's like defensive tackle, but also can be an edge. Yeah, like, and, and yeah. yeah, yeah. How about how even if you even if he somehow gained like 50 pounds and he's going to be a full defensive tackle, mm-hmm. it's still not great. Like you're looking at those three dudes. They also only have three edges under contract. But yeah, that interior is you know, how you're looking at it right now, we know how important rotations are to that Bill's defensive line, but on the interior, you need three legitimate pieces right now. You need a starter opposite of Ed Oliver and you need two solid rotational dudes. You need a, so you need a starter Mm. to play with Ed and then you need a solid three and you need a solid four. And that's just like right off the bat before you, they're losing a lot of snaps. 100%, exactly. And if we go to, so this is holistically for the defensive line across the entire board. So like you mentioned, um, if Linval Joseph, Daquan Jones, Jordan Phillips, Kendall Vickers, Tim Settle, Leonard Floyd, Shaq Lawson, Puna Ford, AJ Epinesa, that's a loss of 2,863 snaps out of 4,732. It's nuts on the defensive line last year. Percentage wise, they're losing 60.5% of their defensive line snaps right now. Versus 2023, they only have three edges under contract, Von Miller, Greg Rousseau, and Kingsley Jonathan. Von is a question mark, but I think he will be able to function in a top four role on the edge. So if you're looking there, okay, cool. You need another starter to play alongside Groot and another rotation guy. But yeah, that interior is very, very, very scary because it's literally Ed and then you need three bodies. And then aside from all that, you need starter bodies, you need quality depth, you need Mm -hmm. camp competition bodies, and knowing how much emphasis that being a McDermott put on the defensive line, they believe in building a defense out from there. We expect this unit and this position group to get a ton of attention yeah. uh, this off season. And rightfully so they need to, even if this was a, a team that didn't believe in building the defense through the defensive line, it would have to be addressed because of the bodies they have or the lack of bodies that they do have. And it, it's pretty dire there. And to put it bluntly, the last two seasons were awful for these units. You know, the Bengals, the Bengals game, obviously Daquan was out and we saw how important he was. He comes back, he starts playing like an all pro, then gets hurt, unfortunately. Um, and then those depth players, they were how many? I, we, we we hyped them up. They were playing pretty well late in the year. And then against the Chiefs, non-existent. They were and Oliver had a tremendous year, goes into the Chiefs, and Tooney just has him in hell for the whole game. Yeah, and so you're right, man. You're just, if you look at it from the top down, how many snaps they're losing, it's it's a lot. And uh, you're losing uh, a, a lot of guys that have, you know, quality reps in this defense. They know the defense. And so um, I, I do think that and you're talking guys like Settle, Jordan Phillips, uh, when we get to the edge guys, guys like Shaq Lawson, those guys put in a lot of time and effort for this franchise. Yeah. And they knew this defense inside and out. And so you're losing guys. And so. When we talk about defensive tackles, you said they need a starting nose tackle, like stat. Like that is, on paper, probably the biggest need. Everyone wants receiver two to be it. I'm with you. I I want them to draft a wide receiver with a premium pick. But on paper, D-tackle, starting D-tackle, you know, I know we haven't hit free agency yet. Right now is the biggest hole in this defense. Do you want Terrell Bernard to have another one of those seasons? If you do, you need to put someone in front of him that can help keep him clean and so mm-hmm. when we talk about nose tackles guys like daquan jones when you talk about uh the three technique guys like uh tim settle jordan phillips the depth guys they like those guys to be positional flexibility like mm-hmm. they like to have guys that can are the size and strength to play nose tackle but also three tech and that's what 
Phillips, and Settle were. But for nose tackle alone, I want to go over some of those traits that we look for based on all the film we've watched, based on all the um, data from past measurables when it comes to the draft, free agency. I mean, last or a couple years ago, I picked out Daquan Jones, you know, right out of the freaking haystack, mm-hmm. and they plugged him right in. So this is what I look for. This is what you look for, and, and I'll let you expand upon it. So one of the first things that you have to see from the nose tackle position in this even front defense, whether they're a nickel or 4D lineman and three linebackers at 4-3 base, they look for quickness. That, that he has gotta, He's got to be able to get up the field. He's got to get off the ball. That's what, you know, Daquan brought to them. But he also brought that power, that ability to compress a pocket. If you guys remember, we'll break down some of that film here tonight against the Dolphins. He was just driving Eichenberg, the center, into the quarterback. Like you have to be able to compress the interior depth of the pocket, but also at the same time, stop that run. Yeah, that that's a position that they, oh, man, I love Daquan Jones so much. Just I honestly what, hope that I honestly hope that. I'm sorry, Daquan. No one pays him what he really wants, <laughs> and he comes back as one of those one-year contracts yeah. that Bean loves to do. That That is my wish. He is my number one guy to bring back. But as you guys have seen on my timeline, I am looking at other guys just in case because he deserves to be paid. He yeah, hope, you, hope your market sucks and you have to come back for cheap. Um, no, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even to kind of put this in perspective for those who uh, hear me shouting about it on the rooftops all the time on Twitter – I would love Cam Kitchens or Tyler Newbin to be, you know, a Buffalo Bill, and I'd take either of them at, at pick 28 in the first round. Mm-hmm. My dream scenario right now is Byron Murphy from Texas falling to the Buffalo Bills because I'm right in that same boat. Like that inter- yep. Yes, that yeah. interior defensive line spot is so worrisome. And everything that it losing Daquan adds to it even more and fits into that conversation, that word that you said, quality. Not only are they losing bodies, they're losing quality bodies at the same time. And Daquan occupied those double teams and he filled Mm -hmm. more of that run stuffer role that you need in conjunction with Ed Oliver, but you still have to have that one gap penetrating nature. You have to be able to get forward. And he talked about it coming from where he came from. He had to learn a different kind of style here, but he had that quickness. He had that pass rush pop. He was tremendous, obviously reading blocks and leverage and understanding like, okay, in the blink of an eye, he could see a guard move and knew what play was coming and what was about to happen and adjust on the fly. But this type of quickness and this type of effectiveness that you see from Daquan Jones, and yeah, even Jordan Phillips as well, that's an important piece that you need. You need to have that size to be able to withstand double teams and anchor and not get blown off the line, but you have to still be able to one gap and penetrate and affect the quarterback as well. Yeah, quickness is huge, whether we're talking nose tackle or three-tech depth player, because the Bills love to run these run blitzes and these gap exchanges, right, Anthony? So you see... Settle right here on the inside of the guard. And then you see him go across the face of the center. And that frees up Bernard to come downhill to help make the tackle. So that type of quickness is, you know, unheard of for guys this big. So as much as, you know, a lot of fans want to dog some of these guys, these depth players, like that is, that's a trait the Bills do look for and why they did go and sign a guy like Settle and Jordan Phillips. Because a lot of, even in the run game, they're going to use that quickness. Like you see here on this run blitz. By Daquan Jones, you'll see him slant from left to right, cross the face of the offensive lineman. When look at Bernard, he fires downhill. They exchange gaps. Now you're getting a tackle for loss. Like that is super important, not just for the pass game, but also for the run game. We're talking uh, nose tackle or even three tech. And it's a and it's a nice piece when 
you've got smaller linebackers at the second level, like Terrell Bernard. Like even Matt Milano is smaller for a yeah. linebacker. Terrell Bernard is basically built like a big safety <laughs> playing the linebacker position. We talk about it every year. We see him at training camp. It's just like, man, Bernard is like a small dude, but he's <laughs> slashing, he's getting forward. And when you run these run stunts, you gum up the works for the offensive lineman and you prevent guys climbing to the second level. You cause a little bit of hesitation. You cause a little bit of confusion. I mean, and it just, helps to just keep... look at this quickness, man. Just look exactly. at the quickness, of, you know, by settle, but also by Epinesa, that lateral step. If you guys remember the draft video, when Eric Washington was interviewing Epinesa at the, at the draft, or no, it was a, I think it was a combine um, when they do the interviews and he talked about a lateral step. This is exactly what Washington was for referring to. These run blitzes, these gap exchanges, you see these two guys immediately get the get across to the face of the offensive lineman. That, as Anthony says, gums up the works and and really gums up the run blocking and disrupts things. And those guys have to process what's happening. And the next thing you know, you have linebackers coming down a hill to make those tackles on these gap exchanges or run blitzes. Yeah, and it works. Like if, if you're going against a gap run scheme, all of a sudden someone's getting upfield and getting penetration and causing havoc. Or even against a zone scheme, it's nice too because the offensive line is building their movement off of what they're seeing in front of them pre-snap. If all of a sudden you change, we talk about it all the time from a coverage perspective, right? Changing the pre-to-post snap picture. These run blitzes, you can do that on the defensive line and in the front, you're changing the pre to post snap picture on the offensive line. And look what happens here. They slant. And now you get Matt Milano clean right in the hole on Josh Jacobs at Oliver makes a nice play there too. So exactly to that point, that quickness, that lateral agility, the ability to play on that plane and play with that leverage to be able to get through shoulders and own your gap and leverage your gap. It is very important. And it's something that, they hang their hat on as a defense with their starters, but those rotational pieces as well, in addition to having that kind of varied skill set as you get to, you know, defensive tackle three, defensive tackle four, you need to be able to do a little bit of everything with how they rotate you in. Yeah, and what they do a lot with their nose tackle is tilt them a little bit, and you'll see how how quick you, uh, Daquan gets into that gap, and he just arm over that guy, clubs him down to the ground. What does that do? That keeps <laughs> Bernard free right there. So – that quickness, that that tilt, that little technique, you know, and stance right there makes it so difficult for the center and right guard to block Daquan Jones. He gets up over them and he's just disrupting everything over here. And so everything is step into the world of power, loyalty and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family vgw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus judy was boring hello then judy discovered chumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy the Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Gummed up, like Anthony says. And then Bernard's there to help make the tackle. That quickness is hugely important for the nose tackle position. But you got to have power too, right, Ant? 
Yes. And real quick, before we get to the power, I wanted to actually, this is a beautiful segue and transition. I think a lot of people think like, oh, in order to gum up the works inside or cause problems inside, you just have to be like Vita Vea or Tavondre Sweat. You just need to be a big hulking guy. No, you can do the same thing with quickness, with agility, with timing the snap, with a strong get off with your angles. And you know, whether you're tilted pre-snap or what you do post and getting into a gap, you can win that way and gum up the works and have the same you know, function as a Vita Vea, even if you're 50 pounds lighter, but if you time it right and what you do from a speed perspective, but yes, power definitely helps. And that's an aspect that, you know, if you're looking at a starter, especially that starter opposite of Ed Oliver, you know, he's got power, but it comes from his quickness. It comes from his leverage, his ability to generate power from his feet through to his knees, through his hips and through to his hands. Um, But that opposite you know, that more one tech, that Daquan Jones role, or even, you know, the Starla Tulele role before Daquan, you need that power. It could be pocket compression, like you said, and driving somebody into the quarterback's lap and walking them back, or it could be a move like this where there is some quickness to it, but that power, that club, that ability to just basically smack the hell out of somebody and kind of <laughs> shock them where they stand. Violence. And that, yeah, that absolute violence. violence. And we talk about it all the time with the offensive line with Cromer and hands, hands, but yeah. the bills look for hand usage and technique across the entire defensive line. And it could be something as simple as just proper placement into the shoulder pads and into the chest. I mean, when we had Greg Rousseau on the show, he did a brilliant job talking about reading um, the body language and mm-hmm. surface area of alignment and knowing where to place his hands. If he was going to go more on the chest plate or more into the collar, they look, the bills look for in free agents and in potential draft prospects, their hand usage and its placement, but also power and pop and how it translates. Yeah. And, and speaking of power, you saw kind of that speed, the power transition with the club from Daquan watch this wide alignment from again, a depth D tackle. And it's something that, um, you know, we're going to talk about a bunch in this episode is, you know, they do want, they need, I should say, they need three tech, a three tech depth. Yes. And they look for that positional flexibility. They look for that quickness, like we're talking about, and the ability to, uh, you know, penetrate upfield and be disruptive. But this power element is still a big thing. And you can see Jordan Phillips <laughs> just wiping out that offensive lineman, making that dude's knees buckle and getting the hit on Baker Mayfield against the Bucks, And it's nearly intercepted on the back end. Yeah, they love at the end of the day for as 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 quick and you have to be and as upfield as you have to be uh, on the interior and on the edges as well, which we'll talk about the the Bills and Sean McDermott and as a, like a team philosophy, they love dudes like you said who can just compress the pocket, who can drive somebody into the lap of the quarterback. This was one of the best reps for Phillips all year. Just gets that long arm in, is able to extend and press, but also look at the placement right on the collar mm-hmm. of uh, Cody Mock. Uh, rookie out of North Dakota State, who we saw at the Senior Bowl last year. Yep. Senior Bowl is awesome. Shout out to Taqueria, Mexico. I miss you tremendously. <laughs> but it's the placement. It's the power. So you have that size and frame, but you also have the technique along with it. Mm-hmm. Phillips is a really good example of what they look in that rotational guy, like someone who offers that power and that pocket compression, but still has enough quickness to get penetration and get upfield as a rotational player to play as a complement to your starters like an Ed Oliver and Daquan Jones. Right, so here's another power play. This one from Daquan Jones, the one we were talking about earlier. Oh, I love how he one. makes the, the center's knees buckle. He there. makes him look like a baby, like a baby deer on ice. Yeah, man, seriously, like baby calf there, like yeah. just totally collapses his lower body, disrupts Tua, you know, gets a hit on him, and that's uh, dropped on uh, from the running back there on the other end. That type of power is needed 
to go with the quickness of Daquan Jones. Here's another one. He's just, man, he's so much fun to watch. He's been such a pleasure to talk football with, um, but also watch on film because he does everything right. Very rarely is he bumped out of his gap. Very rarely does he miss an assignment. He's so technical. And, and you see all that, you know, come to light on film. Look at how he plays with power and pop in his hands. And look at how that center who's trying to reach him and who kind of wins in, in that mm -hmm. regard. Look at how he's pushed into the backfield, nearly into the quarterback. But yet Daquan, because of his power, his technique, his hand usage and placement, he's able to recover and make the tackle on the running back. Yeah, when I think the first time we had him on the show, or it might have been the second, um, he, he, and I alluded to it earlier, he talked about like post-snap reading a lineman's leverage and understanding what's going on and knowing like, okay, they're trying to reach me. I know the ball is going over here. So let me work against what they're trying to do and kind of cause problems for them. And he was tremendous at that. He, I would love for him to come back so bad just because he ticks every box. Like he, and he, I think him coming on the show, he had an awesome opportunity to showcase how smart and cerebral so he is. Yeah. Because you see a dude like that, that's that physically imposing, that has the power and has the ability to just manhandle someone. But a large part of the reason why he is, is manhandling them, it's not just because of the physical power, it's because of the high football IQ that he operates with and understanding, like, this one is great too. And again, still one of the good centers in the league yeah. in Andrews. The way he gets into his chest and drives him, and then look where his eyes are, right on the back on Ezekiel Elliott, reads the track, is controlling Andrews the whole time, cuts off the front side for Zeke, and then as Zeke puts his foot in the ground again, Daquan's still peeking. Then he manages to kind of shed and get himself free back into the gap that Zeke is trying to cut into. He's effectively controlling two gaps on this play while also causing displacement on the line of scrimmage and getting into the backfield. And like, have you, have you, as you have highlighted there, that tilt, that power, that leverage, yeah. that's what they need at that position, especially too, because you anticipate, you know, that's that guy that's seen more double teams. Or if Ed Oliver continues on his trend, maybe Ed Oliver starts to see more double teams. Then you need that one tech to be that guy who's winning with power and quickness consistently because he's going to get those one-on-ones. Yeah, and we have a question from Booth Magoo. How early are you willing to take Ooh. a two-down no-sack in the draft? Okay, stop right there. That is a misconception. The Bills aren't looking for a nose tackle, a true nose tackle that is only – uh, a Vince Wilfork of years past. That Gilbert is, Brown. <laughs> Gilbert Brown, yeah. Um, they're not looking for a two-down nose tackle. That's not the type of defense they play. They're not looking for a true zero technique, 340-pound nose tackle of yesteryear. No, they play an attack-oriented, penetrative-style defense. They do not go for guys like that. Daquan Jones, on a good day, is 315 pounds. And he can play every single down mm -hmm. and do these things that we're showing you. So he plays with that blend of power, quickness, uh, whether it's versus the run or the pass. So um, don't get it twisted there. Uh, they're not looking for a, a two down nose tackle. Um, they're looking for a guy that fits their scheme. And it's usually an even front scheme for down linemen, um, whether they're in nickel or base. And it's because of guys, their ability to play with speed, play with power, play with smart FBI, mm -hmm. football intelligence. Look at him. As they the commanders run that gap run, you see him stack that center, gets his eyes on the ball, controls that guy's hands. Like this is what the Bills look for in D linemen. Smart guys that play with good technique. Look at Ed Oliver on that 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 double team right there. Look at him drop that near knee and uh -huh. split that. The depth players 
that the Bills are going to look for in free agency in the draft for that three-tech position behind Ed Oliver. As we all know, the Bills love to, to send these D linemen in waves. They got to have good technique on top of these other trades that we've outlined. Absolutely. And yeah, you see what Ed's doing there, dropping the knee, did that a ton this year. And the hand usage here from Daquan is really beautiful. Like you get his inside arm extending and controlling gates. Look at his, so left from our vantage point, but Daquan's right hand, right at that elbow, just like he's got placement there. He can lift that arm. He can punch it inside. He is in complete control on this rep. And you see it as he controls his gap. And then what does he do? As soon as he sees Robinson commit, just quickly puts that arm over transitions, mm -hmm. understanding the leverage and how to manipulate his man. Yeah. He, he played that role tremendously and you're going to need to see glimpses of that in the rotational guys, aside from just the starter. And Eric, I wanted to bring up a quick follow-up from Booth Magoo. Yeah. He says, uh, you know, I guess I meant the Daquan uh, role, you know, and I don't, Eric, I don't want to speak for you, but if they don't address it in free agency, we would be, oh, the question again. So how early will replace the verbiage? How early are you willing to take, you know, the Daquan role in the draft? Um, and you covered if, that, right? Like, yes. Oh, early. If, 28. Yes, early. <laughs> Absolutely. If they don't address it in free agency, it's right up there for me. My Again, my dream scenario is Byron Murphy, defensive tackle from Texas. Mm -hmm. He falls to 28. Stud. And the Bills take him. Yeah, he's an absolute stud. Fits everything that they're looking Five for. Years. Give me that. Yes. Bro, yep. how he can play the run. How yep. he can, he's one of the best interior pass rushers in the draft. You're pairing him with term and cost effectiveness with Ed Oliver for mm -hmm. years to come. Mm -hmm. It would break my heart because Cam Kitchens wouldn't be coming. But mm -hmm. again, it's the positional need. Yeah, I'm I'm in a similar boat with you. Like if if they have to address if they don't address in free agency and they're still looking to address that role, the earlier the better in the draft for me. Yeah, especially if you're talking like blue chip type players. Yes. Yeah. We were kind of disappointed not to see Murphy down at the senior bowl. Uh, they announced it like the day before that oh, he's not going to participate. That we were night, so like that night, it was like seven or eight o'clock at night, the night before yeah. on that Monday. I was right. I have a video teed up already done, ready to hit publish. And then we find out the day before he's not going to be participating. That was a, a bummer, but I'm with you. I, if he's there, he's definitely going to be one of the top players on your board. If yes. he's there at 28. So yes. uh, without a doubt. And then Booth adds, I want a Lee McNeil type player. I, I love, I love oh, him coming God. out and, now, obviously, he was not taken as high as Murphy. We expect Murphy to go, but they do need that type of guy in the middle of their defense, especially, as you said, with Ed Oliver's contract, having a cost-controlled ally next to him to eat up some of those blocks. And that's what Daquan did. Yes. He would eat up a lot of double teams, but he was still one of the best players against the, the run and the pass. He was so efficient. And you can see they're doing that combination block on him as that tilted nose, and they're, they're not able to move him. You get Bernard to come down, so the guard has to pull off, and then everyone just playing downhill, gap integrity, really good gap integrity. Everyone gets off the blocks. They make the tackle on Elliott. That's exactly what the Bills need when we're talking the nose tackle position. So now let's get into some of the, the depth stuff. We saw some reps from Jordan Phillips. We saw some from Settle. But that positional flexibility is a huge, huge thing they look for, I'd say, even on the offensive line. like That's something that mm -hmm. Cromer preaches. It's something that Washington and McDermott believe in. Because you can do things like this with a big guy like Jordan Phillips, put him in an odd front, and then you're you're just driving that guy with power right into the quarterback's lap. Yeah, Jordan Phillips really was 
like the size, the power, the frame, the quickness. Good jump. Yeah, hand. he always yeah. was timed the snaps pretty good, almost too good, and then get I was gonna say, know, yeah. called for penalties. <laughs> yeah, like multiple offsides in one game over and over again. Um, but you know, comes with the comes with the territory yeah. to play like that. He really was the perfect rotational guy for this defense. His biggest thing was he just could never stay healthy. Like he was just consistently getting banged up. Like the only thing consistent about his health was that his health was inconsistent. He was gonna get hurt. Um, and even Tim Settle at times, like we we wanted more from him. He had a better year this year than he did last year, right. but he's still in that positional flex type of role. Like you could kick him down and have him be a one tech on certain situations, or he yeah, like function. right here, he's a no yes. tackle. He's like a shade shade exactly. no tackle. Yeah, he's he's super. This isn't even as much as a one tech as it is. Yeah, that shade zero, yep. and he's tilted a little bit. And watch him just bang in there against Jurgens and Kelsey. Mm-hmm. Like that's what you're, and that's what's so tough about operating in this style. And what you have to look for in a player, like in the subtle example, there was a good clip. Like you have to be able to be quick and get off the ball and get penetration. You also have to be able to withstand a double team. Like you just can't get knocked and thrown off from a feed block from a center and get right. chucked. You have to have that core strength, that ability to kind of lean into one leg and ricochet and come right back um, and then play off that double team when they climb to the second level and still maintain leverage and positioning and what you're doing. So there's, there's a lot of importance on this defensive line. It, it exists for every team, but especially for the Buffalo Bills, considering the rotation that they use, the type of coverages they like to play on the back end. And, you know, we loved how much they blitzed and what they mm-hmm. did last year and how they started to tweak some things up there. But at the end of the day, if you can control the line of scrimmage with your defensive lineman in the pass and against the run and rely on your back seven to just play coverage, that's a tremendously winning formula in today's NFL because you always have the numbers advantage against the pass. And I don't know if anybody knows this, but it kind of is a passing league still, even though the runs come back a little bit. Um, so having those guys, and I think that's actually a quick little point too. Like you need guys up front to, affect the pass, but also affect the run. Like how many bodies you have to commit to the box determines, even though it is a passing league, how you fit the run determines the coverages that you play on the back end. And if you consistently have to have another man in the box or walk a safety down pre-snap or commit them post, that changes what you're able to do on the back end. And that's related to how your front plays up front, how varied, versatile, and effective they are with speed and power. All right. So let's move on to the edge edge position. Uh, As you said, we expect Von Miller to at least be a lot closer to hundred percent than the, you know, what he played at this past year. Obviously Rousseau uh, has a big year headed for him, um, you know, going into you know that contract area uh, of his uh, career. Um, so rotational edge, it's something that, you know, we paid attention to when we we're down at the senior bowl, uh, something this off season, you're going to, we're going to have to start scouting those guys, whether we're talking free agency or the draft. Yeah. Um, so as far as edge guys, what do the bills look for in your opinion? So I think the easiest way to put it um, is everything that Von Miller is. They don't look for that really. Typically. He, correct. Yeah, <laughs> correct. He is very much the outlier. They look for, especially from a starter perspective, they look for guys who compress the pocket. They don't really put a big emphasis on bend or athleticism or change of direction. They value power over creativity, mm-hmm. good hand usage. They typically like to look for larger frames in terms of body type. Yeah. You know, Greg Rousseau is an outlier because of his length and his size and height, but Rousseau is very much what they look for. Long arms, arms, right? Yes. Long arms. You use that long arm, whether winning you're talking first touch. as a pass rusher. Yes. Winning that first touch, um, stacking and shedding versus the run, which is some of the stuff we're going to talk about. Um, as we th- we think and assume that Miller and Rousseau are the starters next year. Yeah. So rotational guys, you got to think like AJ Epinesa, 
Um, you got to think Lawson. about Shaq Lawson um, and what they add. Because usually it's like, okay, the starters get like two drives, and then the second wave guys at edge and in, and the interior kind of get thrown in there. And that's when you see teams start to do some different things uh, when when you're talking um, attacking that defense. And so, yeah, you know, the starters versus the depth guys, you're going to see obviously a drop, a, a little drop in talent, mm-hmm. but also, you know, different body types and, um, you know, thing, they do things a little differently, maybe even at a different pace. But it's always about pocket compression. We're talking rushing the passer, right? Absolutely. They want guys who can go through somebody and drive them into the back. But what you saw from Daquan Jones against Eichenberg, making him look like that baby giraffe or that baby deer. They want that from the edge. They don't value guys who can win around the arc and dip and bend. They want to see those, that right tackle and that left tackle, those bookends. They want to see them get driven back into the right. quarterback's lap. They want to, they don't want rushing lanes, pocket. right? No. Right. They want to restrict it and stay on the same level. Keep the quarterback in the pocket. Cause those years, where the Chiefs were beating the Bills is always about Mahomes leaving the pocket and getting those rushing lanes. Like, I I agree, man. They like to work through the cylinder of the offensive line. It's almost reverse from the blocker. Work through that cylinder to the quarterback rather than working around the cylinder of that offensive lineman, which can open up things for that quarterback. Yeah, which is why someone like like a Shaq Lawson continued to prove valuable because of how he plays from that style. And I think that's a key piece too. When you're talking about the rotational aspects, you mm-hmm. can, Oh, that's a good comment from Wayman. Yeah. Wayman was crushing it last night in the chat in the skies <laughs> cover too. I appreciate the hell out of Wayman. Yeah. Pocket collapsing style guys tackle for lost types. And then your starters, they still have to be able to play the run. They aren't just, you know, mm-hmm. pass rush only. They have to be able to play the run. And then as you get to edge three, edge four, edge five, you can have more of a subset. You could potentially be a little bit more of a pass rusher or a Shaq Lawson type where your pass rush upside is limited and you're just looking at a run defender because it also helps to, you know, his familiarity with the defense. Um, right. And I also like, you know, you pulled it up real quick, you know, Chris Braswell, uh, Booth Magoo. Yeah. Um, we talked about Darius Robinson mm-hmm. from Missouri. You know, when you're looking at those long Isaac from PSU, he's got, oh, he's yeah. a really good stack and shutter, but also has some of that, bendy ability and explosiveness yeah. off the ball um he's another guy that penn state uh, edge defender that i do think that um given maybe even some of the changes maybe we should add that to anthony some of the changes mm-hmm. that we're seeing from washington to marcus west now maybe marcus west and maybe even babbage you know it funnels down to the point where they maybe they want a little more upside as a pass rusher and maybe not so much as it could be again these changes are huge. We yes. don't know yet. And so maybe there is that that element where they do, yeah, they got to be able to stack and shed in the run game, but maybe they want a little more explosiveness off the ball, not just that short area burst, not just that first step that we saw from Rousseau, Carlos Basham that got those guys drafted when they wanted to chase Mahomes mm-hmm. around. Maybe they want a little more of that bendiness, maybe a little more of that explosiveness and run and chase ability so that when the quarterbacks do take off, then again, this is all up in the air, guys. Yes, this absolutely. is why this offseason is going to be so much fun for nerds like us. Absolutely. And I'm even thinking to kind of the opposite end of more athleticism or bend from the edge. I'm wondering with how much they like to do simulateds and creepers. And, you know, mm-hmm. granted, a die is on the back end, but what he did at Miami and what Georgia was doing, do we see more of edges that have more athleticism in space and you can kind of lean into do yes guys who can peel off or just straight drop out and you can play more games because it's not what Abanessa did when he did it last last couple years man 
Yep. Like not only was he batting passes down that were trying to get out to the screen, pick sixes. But he was dropping out and getting pick sixes. In, in so, the yeah. pick sixes and like the the hook the hook curls and the flats, like and so that type of ability too. Like mm-hmm. I want, and that's something I wanted them to move towards for so long. Like if you and it, it it's not the easiest thing, so I understand why you don't like having a whole bunch of hybrid players that can do everything isn't realistic. Like that's a hard thing to right. do. But yeah, I do right. wonder if they get a little away from that more pocket compression go through the cylinder mm-hmm. type of dudes and they lean a little bit more for athletic bendy can function more in space type of guys as they take a maybe new approach with more man coverage on the back end more leverage based and then the fronts you don't know who's coming who's dropping what a little more you know baltimore ravens asked to kind of put sure. it uh into perspective for some people so let's look at a couple clips from the depth guys this is aj epinesa and this is why they like the length to stack versus tight ends, control versus those tight ends, disengage when that running back commits. That's the type of stuff that they have generally liked to see from their edge players. Here's one with uh, the DN and the six tech, and that's head up over uh, the tight end right there. And this is part of their base defense. And you see Epinesa take that tight end and wash him down, and he's right there at the tackle point against the Broncos. These are the type of things that they have typically liked at defensive end. And even if they do go for some more of the explosiveness, some of that bendiness, some of that athleticism, these guys, just based on the even front they play, these guys still have to have these skills and traits when it comes to stopping the run, when it comes to stacking offensive linemen and tight ends. Yes, absolutely. They are going to have to play the run the same way, uh, attack tight ends the same way. Oh, really love that this hand usage. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. Just even Epinesa on the back and to that the hands and the stack and shed that ability there, like what he does. And then you have the nice little work over the top from Puna Ford. And then yeah, look what Shaq is doing to that. <laughs> the poor tight end. Up. Yeah, and that's and that's something that was consistent for Shaq Lawson and what's he made nice the tackle have. through the tight end, right? He uses, <laughs> he uses the defender to make the tackle like, and Ramondre Stevenson is a big dude. Do you know how much you have to push somebody back yeah. into Ramondre Stevenson <laughs> to stop his momentum for a minute? Like, but, but that's a great example. Like those, if you're a rotational guy, just like a starter, you have to own tight ends in this scheme because you're going to get hit like that, especially being, you know, more of a nickel defense. Although we've talked about that, maybe see a little more base, especially with Bobby Babbage yep. coming through, but you're going to get tight ends on the field. You got to prevent them from climbing to the second level and get into Taron Johnson or get into the safeties. You have to own them. If you get into those one-on-one scenarios and then here's Shaq, not against a tight end against a legitimate left tackle in Tyron Smith. Like this is a really great rep from your fourth edge right here. And it, this is his bread and butter, like the ability to get the hands in shed and then make the play on Pollard. He shuts this play down completely by himself. And that is from a rotational guy, a yep. depth guy, and he's not the sexiest when it comes to pass pro, but he fulfills a role and he fulfills a niche. And that's something the Bills look for as well. You don't have to necessarily be like they are on the defensive line or in the interior where defensive tackle three and four need a little be a little bit of a mix of everything. The edge three, edge four, or edge five can be a little more siloed based on role and skill set. And it's like we again, we saw with Shaq Lawson, who <laughs> even when he won in the past, it was because he was still going through the cylinder, like he said, or he was just compressing, like he wasn't some bendy dude off the edge. He played basically still played run defense while he was rushing the quarterback. Right. No, that's uh that's a great point, man. And so those edge guys, again, uh edge D tackle quickness is gonna be across the board a thing that even with these changes, they look for power, positional flexibility, 
um, when it comes to the run, hand usage is it's critical. And, and a lot of times that's why they like those longer guys, whether they're D tackles or DNs, being able to win first touch and the run in the pass game, stack guys, shed them, displace them, um, and make tackles in the backfield as uh, I think it was Wayman that said that in the, in the mm-hmm. chat. Um, so those are the main traits and skills that the Bills look for along the D-line. It's going to be a lot of turnover, man. It's going to be a lot of turnover at those positions and you know a lot of snaps up, up in the air. <clears throat> and they're going to have to fill it through free agency, bargain basement type deals, and obviously through the draft. And, and so hopefully Bean and his scouts can work that magic because there's a lot of, lot of reps to replace. And – this is probably a little unfortunate too for fans, which I know everyone's going to be upset at because they're going to have to go a little more bargain based and free agency expect more like one and two year deals on the defensive line, which means we're probably having a similar conversation like this next off season or the off season after like this isn't unless they hit on and this would make everybody's minds explode unless they go defensive line, like first round, second round, third round and hit on all of them. This is going to be a position group that's going to need consistent churning, you know, next offseason, mm-hmm. the season, the offseason after, just based on where they are from a body's perspective, a cap number perspective, and what those contracts are going to look like. Again, you're not, you know, getting quality at like a one or two year deal necessarily. Leonard Floyd was awesome that he was oh able God. to trickle what through. A, what a find. Tremendous a find. find. And especially at that point in the offseason. But those, there those will be guys people, like that, right? Yeah. There'll be guys like that late in that final wave of free agents, guys that are getting cut loose after the draft, or after the free agency, that are looking for one more deal on a championship yes. contender. The Bills are going to be that. So there yes. will be guys. So like, don't panic if one need, whether it's a depth or a starter, yep. isn't filled right away, you know, via the draft or free agency. Bean likes to work all options and avenues. So don't yes. panic when it comes to that. And get familiar with that because, you know, Floyd's a good example too, right? Like Floyd came in kind of out of nowhere and was awesome. Had a really good year. Now what's he doing? Probably chasing the money a little bit. So it's going to be hard for him to be able to come back. So now you have to find the next Leonard Floyd and then do it again next offseason or the one after. And this is, you know, get get familiar with this type of philosophy on the defensive line for the next several years. And this one, yeah, just kicks it off with how it's wild, just how important the D-line is to them. They only have six guys under contract right now. It's just – and it's not even like – I said it last night in disguise coverage – even if all six guys they had were all pros and were amazing, they would still have to add to the defensive line grouping. But all six guys aren't all pros, and they're not all amazing. So not only do you have to add bodies, you also have to add quality. You need starters. You need rotational depth. You need competition bodies. You need everything on this position group. So, yeah, it's going to be – Everyone's going to lose their mind when like receivers are getting drafted and signed and the bills are like, here's a defensive tackle. Here's an edge. Here's another defensive tackle. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, there's a lot, you know, a lot of work to do for that front office uh, at one bills drive. And one final question, Jeffrey asked, do we have any film on Jonathan? We don't. But if you go to our timelines on Twitter, there's plenty of film on Jonathan. And I, I do uh, agree with you guys when it comes to him and how he flashed at times when he got snaps, but he didn't get that many. I could see him getting a bigger role, a larger role this year, because I do know that Marcus West likes him and he likes those type of players. I went back and when the bills initially brought uh, Marcus West on and I I did some research on him. Um, I didn't get to it earlier when we were talking about the coaching changes, but um, this is what he had to say about, you know, different guys that he's coached and what he looks for. Uh, in regards to that, he likes guys that are, let's see. Oh, it's not. Let me bring it up. Of course not. Let me see here. 
All right, it's not let me bring it up. I was muted. Um, I was trying to vibe on Kingsley <laughs> Jonathan, and I'm like, why Why am I not hearing anything? Yeah, um, I would be a fan if he got more reps as you try to key that up. He he busted off that Euro step rush against yes. the Colts two preseasons ago, and from that moment, I was like, oh, this is a guy I could get behind. Like, Let him develop a little bit. Showed a little juice um, in the game against the Bears on Christmas Eve a couple years ago, Like, and I know it wasn't the end-all, be-all, but – Watching him run down Justin Fields in space and making a play on him was like, okay, that's not really an easy thing for any edge to do, let alone a rotational guy. Um, it would be awesome if he could be something. And if he could, if Von Miller can be close to Von Miller and give you starter reps or at worst edge three, and then Kingsley Jonathan is an edge three or an edge four, it would be nice. Then you've got Groot Kingsley yeah. and you've got Von right now. Then you just need to add another like, top three rotational guy or more depth pieces. Like if Kingsley could continue, you know, to trend in it, he would show flashes time to time, but it, it's tough to kind of hang your hat on him. But I do like what I've seen from him. Um, and, you know, we've talked about him in the film room multiple times. Yeah, we have. From a, he's had multiple preseason highlight segments from us here um, with dudes that we've broken down. And if he could, you know, get unlocked a little bit uh, from Marcus West, that would be tremendously helpful for this team. Yeah, I apologize. It's not letting me bring it up, but I just know he does like those type of players. Um, actually, there it is. There it is. All right. So Marcus West's prototype rusher. This is from, you know, when he was in college and, and the Bills brought him on board. He goes, he likes a relentless individual. I love the underdog. Everybody loves his 6'4", 34-inch arms and all that. But I want somebody who's been told what they can't do. They walk around with a chip on their shoulder. So I could absolutely see, you know, Jonathan – uh, getting those type of reps. He wants guys who walk around with a chip on their shoulder, the person that's been doubted, been told he's not the best. You can't rush. You can't be successful. You, want, you won't have this or do that. So I do think Jonathan is the underdog, and he could, you know, he's got some moves. He's got that he hand usage um, that I know Marcus West likes to teach uh, a lot more. So we have to move on. We're running short on time. We need to do the safeties. Uh, but before that, you guys take a listen to Greg and Aaron uh, for our one pass read. Many people ask us the best way to support us here at Cover One, and that is to sign up to become a Cover One One Pass member. That contribution helps give us the access to all the data and information we use to create the content that you love. And I think most importantly, brings you into our community of insiders. It's a great community based on Slack. I know a lot of people don't want to be on social media anymore, be in on those conversations. We bring all of it to you right in our great community of educated fans. And most importantly, you get access to our content creators. Even better than that, everybody loves merch. You get awesome t-shirts, a cool decal, and a letter from the Cover One team signed directly to you. All for $60. That gets you the entire season, next year's free agency and draft. 60 bucks. Click the link in the description. Cover one insider. Become one today. Yeah, guys, we, we wouldn't be able to do any of this without you guys. The the memberships, the telestrator, the statistics that we're spitting every week in here. <laughs> like it, it's it really is the driving force. You guys are the driving force behind this film room, behind our community, our Slack community. Um, when you become an insider. So uh, please, if you are able to support us, support the cause and, uh, you know, support all the creators of cover one. We have so many different creators, writers, podcasters, analytics guys, video guys. Like we have some big things brewing on the yeah. back end here. <laughs> We're pivoting and, and, and I just stay tuned guys and, and stay tuned with us um, and stay tuned tonight. Cause we're going to, we're going to move forward. We're going to go to the safeties. Obviously, Hyde, mm -hmm. Hoyer, guys that have been foundational pieces in this defense. 
Um, Hyde obviously is moving on. Poyer, we'll see. Uh, uh, right now, I assume he's coming back. But with these coaching changes that happen, as we said, maybe it's a pivot point. Maybe it's time. We could see them completely change the safety room with their personnel, but mm. also schematically. Yeah, and you know, not to kind of further the notion on Poyer, but if they do cut him, they could save $5.5 million with a dead cap hit of only two. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is potentially a possibility. I, you and I say this every off season, I don't love the idea of creating a hole that you then have yeah. to fill right away, but I do understand it to a degree. Um, yeah, there, there it's such a, I feel like Hyde and Poyer kind of winding down a little bit is almost like, it feels like the end of an era like this bill's defense. And we've said it so much on this show, Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, this bill's defense. were very much at the forefront of, you know, removing the free and the strong label from the safety positions. They became ability, right? Yes. Everybody loves to say like, Oh, you know, positionless football and the safety, but no, it's really more interchangeability. You had two safeties that could play the apex, could cover the flats, could be your buzz safety and single high looks, and then also could do anything in cover two and split field looks. They can match and cover four and quarters. They can function as the you know single high and cover one and go sideline to sideline and all these things. And yes, you know, Micah Hyde had a skill set that leaned a little more towards free, and Poyer had a skill set that leaned a little more towards strong. Well, both were so interchangeable in terms of what they can do. And they were really, you know, a huge part of why this Bills defense and Bills team ascended. They were at the forefront of this defensive movement um, in modern football, and they made a huge whole change in culture. Absolutely. Too, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, yeah the on the field, field and off the field yeah. is a whole nother conversation, right? Uh, they really set the tone for this entire rebuild. Um, and they're, they're crucial to this entire turnaround. And I looked up some of Poyer's stats and since 2017, Oof. Overall, among all safeties, third in tackles, sixth in forced fumbles, fifth in fumbles recovered, fourth in interceptions, 22 interceptions, dude. Most people think Hyde is, again, yeah. that that post-safety that's making all the turnovers and, and, and is more of the cover guy. Dude, Poyer crushed him when you're looking at interception. He's fourth overall. 11 sacks, which is something he did a lot more of, you know, this year and last year coming up and, and run blitzes and stuff like that, uh, uh, blitzes. On the back end, from the back end, had 11 sacks and then 48 passes defense. That was six overall among all safeties since 2017. So much like Hyde, Poyer also filled the stat box, very interchangeable. And so when we talk about things of like, hey, what do the Bills typically look for? It usually starts with that, that interchangeability. Um, it, It usually starts with, you know, football intelligence. It starts off with like, hey, being smart players. And that's why they typically, Look for guys that have played corner, guys like mm. Hyde, guys mm. like Poyer, because they, again, typically, who knows what they do going forward. Yeah. <laughs> maybe the, maybe these skills and traits change, but they like guys that can read route concepts and they trust their eyes, whether it's zone and man, they trust their eyes and they jump it. And that's why you see so many plays on the ball by the Bill safeties over the years. Um, and when they run those two high looks, whether it covered two or quarters, Got to be able to come up and make tackles or make tackles from depth and take good angles. But I'd say one of the biggest things that we have seen from Hyde and Poyer on the defensive side of the ball over the years has been their mental toughness. You know, yes, their Mm -hmm. leadership and their foundational traits to this culture, but the mental toughness to make a play in a big moment, a big hit, an emotional play on the ball, 
and a big stop like that that was something that the bills have needed for many years on that side of the ball on top of the leadership and Hyde and Poyer they brought it to this organization yeah really hit the ground running I think of like Micah Hyde's interception in 2017 against the Falcons like to kind of seal that game in a season mm-hmm. nobody expected yeah to like from the bills that they ended up breaking the drought and beat an Atlanta team in Atlanta that everybody was like, what the hell? The Falcons lost to the bills. Like right. Hyde's interception um, on Mac Jones in the wild card against the Patriots. Even, you know, let's pull a recent example. If the bills win that game against Kansas city, Jordan Poyer running down Pacheco and then forcing the, the fumble, fumble at the goal line at the goal line Crazy. becomes a huge legendary play in bills lore. And so much is, you know, been put on their shoulders on and off the field. Like you said, the leadership off the field, the leadership on the field, the checks, the adjustments, Mm -hmm. the versatility, the interchangeability, having to function in a multitude of coverages against a multitude of body types and skill sets, tight ends, slot receivers, X's, Z's, and then having to fit the run from depth. That is my number one thing. Anytime I look at kind of like this, right? (laughs) I know that's why I left this point last because I know what this play is. Yeah. Just having to the wherewithal and understanding the angles and the timing of it, but then the physicality to be able to play through the line and then finish at the tackle point. We saw this from Poyer and Hyde so much, especially Poyer. And they started to trend off a little bit this year. I think they started to show their age and the miles on the uh, tire started to show a little bit more, but they've just been so tremendously important with what they've been able to do year after year. Just look at Poyer process this, you know, post snap. So he's coming down. Watch where his helmet goes. He's looking at the ball right now. Ball snap. Look at his eyes. His helmet goes right to the tight end. He's reading that tight end, and he sees that tight end go to block. So what's he do? Fires his gun, comes downhill, and makes the tackle. Like, that processing. In an instant. In an instant, dude. It's just, it's click and close. It's everything you want in a run defender, let alone a safety. Like, that is the type of stuff that, you know, playing that many reps in this defense have really allowed him to play fast, him and hide the play fast. Watch him on this play. Against the Chargers, Chargers are backed up here. Watch them come from depth right here and work through that defense and all that traffic and go find the ball and make that tackle, uh, you know, again, from that second level here. But again, keying, look at him, key 84, keys 84. Oh, they're running a sift block coming across the formation there. He inserts and makes the tackle. Also really good job by uh, Tim Settle there, causing some having and some penetration on that mm-hmm. play. Uh, another example of what the Bills look for in a rotational guy, just gumming up the works there. Yep. Yeah, Poyer, even on a down year last year, like still had the ability to make plays and, and provide some impact moments for this Bills defense. And I, I've seen a lot of the talk of kind of moving on from, well, Hyde, you know, it's already easier because he's a UFA, but kind of yeah. moving on from Poyer. But what he's meant to this defense and still what he does from a, a communication standpoint and a leadership 100%. standpoint, like having, yep. having that brain trust between him, Terrell Bernard and Taron Johnson has been so important for this defense on tape last year. I'd like to continue it, especially if you're going to add a new safety, you know, maybe you do have to focus on more of a rangier type of safety yeah. to play more of a quote unquote free safety type of role and maybe limit some stuff with Poyer. But right. Cause if they want to play a lot of those single high cover yes. one looks cover man, cover one man looks, they got to have a post safety that has range that can get from sideline to sideline. So that is how, you know, the, the scheme could change what personnel they look at, what traits they look at in safeties. Yes. And that's a great, a great point. Like maybe 
Maybe it's not, you know, we're looking for two of the same and we can kind of make them interchangeable and do whatever. Maybe you are looking for more of a pure range type of dude because you are going to play more cover one and cover three and you need somebody to be that kind of de facto Earl Thomas and go sideline to sideline. And you still got to come forward and fit the run. But, you know, if Poyer stays, I still think you can do some of the stuff that yes. uh, that you have before, but maybe you look to pair him with a different guy and, you know, this play from Hyde, the we broke it down, I remember, after the Washington game, just the football intelligence, what he does. And, like, when you – I know you're going to break it down in yeah. slow-mo. Like, everything that he does on this play is just so smart and so savvy. And that's where that trade-off is, right? Like you can replace Hyde with a faster – quicker, more forceful hitter at safety, but the football intelligence and the processing and the IQ is going to be so hard to replace or mitigate if he's gone. Yeah. Bills run a cover three creeper pressure. So they send Milano, they bring high down as that flats defender. And you can see him make a beeline for number two to the flats, which is a running back going out on that diagonal route. But then you see him kind of flatten out a little bit, kind of, you know, draw and bait that quarterback into this throw Epinesa gets in the passing lane. So that also affects the trajectory of this pass. And it, again, it buys time for Hyde to go up and get the ball and interception. So good disguise from pre to post snap and you, the bills send uh four. it's a, you know, a non-traditional for that go. And he Hyde makes the interception on the back end. just a great read from Hyde. And it's something that he and Poyer do really well. You see similar thing here, but instead of being the flats player, in cover three, he is the hook to curl player, but then just watch him play the quarterback here. Watch him read the quarterback's eyes, the routes that uncovering. So you can see Kirk is going out of his line of sight, out of his um, you know, assignment and zone. Here comes another guy behind him. Look at how he plays up and recognizes this route with the quarterback's eyes and that route coming behind him, and he's able to get in that passing window to create that incompletion. Just beautiful stuff here, man. On a critical down, too, I'll show it from the end zone angle. I hate this play because Poyer gets flagged for unnecessary roughness, yeah. and it's one of the most stupid calls of the season because the ball almost still gets to Calvin Ridley, and Poyer just makes a football play and gets called. Also good pressure uh, from AJ yeah. Vanessa on yeah. that one. But, yeah, look at the extension from Hyde. And, and everything you said on this one, this play isn't a result of, well, you know, you do have to be athletic to be able to stretch and, and get the PBU on this, but this is a result of understanding – what you're seeing in film study and preparation in the week and being able to put that whiteboard work onto the grass and onto the field on Sunday and having that play recognition. Look at where his head is at. You, mm -hmm. If you go back slightly, after Kirk goes by him, boom, look at he immediately, he knows number two is crossing his face, so he gets his eyes to number one to see what's going on. And what's happening? Ridley comes for Ridley comes behind him after he gets his eyes off of Ridley. He puts him back onto Lawrence and that's what helps him get into that window, that instantaneous processing recognition and being able to translate that mental to the physical. It's something that he and Poyer have done for years. And even in a, you know, quote unquote down year for them last year, they still had a lot of these highlight moments. Yeah. And here's another one. We talked about former corners trusting their eyes like that last play and being confident in what they're seeing here is Poyer dropping down and watch him read the route from Godwin coming from the bottom of the screen. Mm. And again, trust his eyes and it's, he kind of slows up, lets the quarterback get to the target. And then once he realizes that Baker is throwing it to Godwin, he jumps it and nearly intercepts the ball. Yeah. Just the, the ability to, 
to be in such good position that you have the time again, I did it on that interception against Washington that you showed a couple of plays ago to get to your spot and to have the time and the wherewithal to be able to kind of pace it. Like, look, he's reading Baker's eyes. Mm-hmm. He knows after he breaks down, he stops. Boom. Right there. He starts to break down. Watch him. He doesn't come beeline it forward. He comes forward like a predator stalking his prey. He knows what route is coming. He saw it out of, out of his peripherals. He drove on it. He's coming forward. This isn't him trying to, okay, Godwin's going to make the, te- the the catch. I'll make the tackle. We'll get the stop. He's trying to make a play on the ball. And that takes veteran savvy. That takes that football IQ, that football intelligence, that FBI that you talked about. And that's why, you know, even though he has lost a step, you still don't want to leave or lose this completely from a defense. Yeah, no doubt. And so here's uh, a single high safety look pre-snap, post-snap. They snap out of it into a two high look. And you see the the runner and Bernard going right down the pike. Here comes C.D. Lamb. You see Poyer breaking on the ball right here. And watch him trust his eyes and go make a play on C.D. Lamb. He understands C.D. Lamb is in the slot. You know, he honestly probably shouldn't be jumping this because you get another vertical over here. But again, he trusts his eyes. He trusts his keys and what he's seen on film, and he goes and makes him play on the ball down the field on C.D. Lamb. Yeah, maybe if Dak tries to lie with his eyes a little bit and then fires it to Cooks, you're in some trouble there. But, yeah. you know, to, to your point, this is the instincts that you're playing with, you know, that that feel for the game that, again, I, I hate to keep, like, drilling at home, like it's hard to replicate in guys. And then you combine that with Poyer's familiarity with the defense and playing in this scheme, you know, year after year since 2017. He just – he understands his role and he has an understanding of concepts offensively and how they funnel into his responsibilities defensively. Oh, and he almost gets that pick on the ground and he's so pissed about it. Like that was a great play too. Like, you know, Bernard carrying lamb forces Dak to have to put more air and arc on this ball. And Poyer makes him pay on the back end. Look at him go up and get it. Like that athleticism, it's still there. Some of that is still there within him to a degree. And, you know, just watching him kind of make these plays. It's, it's a, it's a treat. Yeah, here's another one from Poyer making a play on the ball. Uh, but this time, uh, we talked about, you know, the turnovers he's forced, the forced fumbles. Oh, this you see the time. completion here, but then you see him come down and, and peanut punch it. Boom, right there, just on point, man. Like, what a strike and, and forced fumble there. And you see him flexing, and mm-hmm. Bernard recovers it. Like, these are the plays that, again, those emotional moments, those big plays. You know, when I think about Poyer's career, one of my favorite plays from him is when he kind of spun down like we saw and a few of these plays in that cover three buzz roll, and he picked off Tom Brady and took it in uh, for six. Like, I know oh, that's yeah. one of his favorite plays. Like, Hyde and Poyer were so crucial to this turnaround off the field, also on the field. They just made plays like this so often, man. So regardless of, you know, what the Bills decide to do with Poyer, obviously I do think, given the turnover at some other areas, I do think they need him as a leader, yes. as a communicator, um, obviously Bernard will still be there as that communicator in that hub as well. But on the back end with a semi tweaked scheme, I, I do think they need to bring, you know, Poyer back, uh, especially if they're going to insert a young safety back there, which I assume they will. And cause that's a really good point too. Like, what are you, you know, if, if you're looking at the free agent safety class, it's, you know, you're not getting Antoine Winfield, you know, you're mm-hmm. probably not getting Kyle Duggar. Like you'll but come see- on a die coached him. I Come know. on. I would love if he's like, you know what? My dad played in Buffalo. You coached me. <laughs> it's like perfect. I'll let me sign 
Greg, six, Greg, make it work, man. Make the numbers work, Greg. Please. I was gonna say I'll, I'll make it work. Like six years, six million, <laughs> one million per season. Huge discounted rate for an All Pro safety. Oh uh, man, I would. Oh man, I would just. I loved his tape at Minnesota. Like he. Him and Chin being free agents at the same time, although their careers have taken some different you're trajectories. Conflicted. I'm very conflicted. Um, but you're that that's what it is. Like you're not gonna get Winfield, although we can help. Um, you're probably not gonna get Duggar. We'll see if the injuries and the usage, you know, cools off, you know, the the heat for Jeremy Chin, and maybe that's a potential option. But you're looking at the Julian Blackmans of the world, like mm-hmm. the Sean Gibson, like these guys who can play these roles that will sign, you know, maybe a one or a two year deal for low cost. Then you're introducing a new person. Does that work? What does the cost look like? Maybe there is a Taylor Rapp that's left over again. You can sign him for one year, two million, similar to what yeah. happened with Rapp last year. Or do you look towards the draft and then you're bringing in a rookie who, as much as projections are awesome, they're not guaranteed. And it's tough to do that with two new safeties to jettison Poyer, bring in a free agent and then draft someone and have two new safeties back there with all this turnover. And And you're losing a guy like Butler that is, was great at developing those guys. Yeah. Not to take anything away from the positional coaches over the years, but Butler was, is credited for a lot of the development of that secondary. And, Maybe not even necessarily development, but really squeezing that last juice out of a player's yeah. talent. You know, making guys like Levi Wallace a household name and a, a, a starter in this league for several years. Like, he really did a great job of developing those guys. So you're losing a guy like him and, and that experience and, and ability to coach up and develop players. And now you're going to bring in a young safety, you know, in the draft. It's it's a big ass. They lost. Uh, Greg said it in our chat. You know, they lost a lot of experience. In even if you didn't like Washington as a D line coach, losing him mm-hmm. and losing uh, Butler were were huge. And we talked about guys like Poyer and Hyde and the guys along the defensive line and all those snaps that were you know the Bills are losing. Well, the the loss of those coaches is going to be felt as well. Absolutely. And with Tre'Davious White working his way back from injury, yes. like. You know, not from an age perspective, but from an experience perspective, the senior man in the secondary is Taron Johnson. That's and crazy. so then he's got to carry the water for everybody. And then, you know, Rasul Douglas is a vet. Benford's going into year three, and then you're going to have two new safeties. And then you also have to get two new safeties who can do all these things like we talked about. Can you play multiple coverages and be versatile and interchangeable? Can you fit the run from depth? Do you have ball skills? both, you know, in terms of like fumble generation, but also being able to take the ball away when it's in the air. What kind of leadership do you have? What kind of football intelligence do you have and football IQ and all these things? Like a lot was asked of Hyde employer in this defense. And it's part of the reason why this defense was so successful because a lot was asked of them and they answered everything that was asked of them consistently year after year. They're there was a reason that they were arguably, if not the best safety tandem in the NFL for so long and to go, completely away from them, you know, and, and bring in two new dudes. It's a lot, like you said, from a turnover perspective, not just from an on the field piece, but from the mental aspect on the field and off the field, it's a lot. And, you know, I, I know Poyer has lost the step. I've, I've said it a bunch this year um, during the during film and on Twitter and even on this guy's coverage, but there is something to be said for him still having enough juice to get it done and the consistency and, and calm that he brings to the secondary considering all the chaos that's been happening thus far. Yeah. It's uh, there's a lot, there's still a lot of questions. Even before yeah. we went live, we're like, like we're just like naming all these things almost into a panic, like, Holy right. cow. Like we still don't know 
What about this? Uh, what about this? Yeah, what about that? We still don't know a lot and probably not going to find out <laughs> about any of the answers uh, for a few months now. So, but that's what makes this offseason fun. Uh, again, you know, the pivot can be scary. You know, the coaching changes, the personnel changes can be scary, but it also can be fun because, again, if there was a time, that time is now. Mm-hmm. And we'll see how they can complement the offense now. And they'll have, they're appearing to want to do it differently than years past. And to me, that's exciting. And you know, that that's a great piece as well. We've talked about this complimentary football piece and maybe they're looking to go with just more of that aggressive style to mm-hmm. take the ball away from teams and generate these, you know, negative, big toxic differential plays for the defense to get the ball back to the offense, to be able to keep the foot on the gas. And again, play that complimentary football aspect. And you know, what, what's nice is despite, the questions that have to be answered on the D line and in the secondary, you do have some core pieces, you know, Matt Milano coming back and what Terrell Bernard was last year, Ed Oliver, Greg Rousseau, Rasul Douglas, Mm -hmm. Christian Benford. There's some really fun players on this defense to kind of hang your hat on. Now you just have to build around that fill within that. And what's a a potential good news is defensive line wise and safety wise. There are some options in this draft free agency as a whole, um, another animal, which of course we're going to have you covered here on the yeah. film with regards to that. But, you know, I think, I think free agency is less sexy for people because they know like the bills <laughs> yes. cap situation in general. Yeah. So it's like, okay, like a couple rentals and we'll see what can happen, but those rentals can prove effective. And again, in the draft, there are answers to these problems that the bills have right now, you know, quote unquote problems. And they're fun. Like there's some really fun yeah. safeties, some really fun defensive linemen on the mm-hmm. edge and on the interior. Um, and we'll have you cover the, every single step of the way with showing you who those players are mm-hmm. in free agency agency in the draft both pre-draft and pre-free agency post-signing and post-drafting we'll have you covered here for the entire offseason every single step of the way yeah speaking offseason uh just some house cleaning stuff um if you guys aren't subscribers to the cover one college football channel please make sure to get over to that youtube channel and subscribe Uh, a lot of our draft breakdowns i'm doing film rooms over there as i said earlier i have a couple you know queued up already um uh draft weekly podcast with john and daniel um, we got to spend some time down with them in Mobile mm-hmm. and, and listen to some of their evaluation philosophies and stuff like that. They uh, do their podcast every week. So make sure to tune into that channel as well. Uh, it's part of the Cover One Sports Network as well. Uh, just a separate channel for our college and draft content. Um, and then for next week, uh, we're going to flip the script. We're going to go to the mm-hmm. offensive side of the ball. Not as many wholesale changes when you're talking personnel, but there are some areas they can augment to make the offense more explosive Mm -hmm. um and uh, some areas that um i think you guys are going to enjoy us breaking down so we're going to do the same type of thing on the offensive side of the ball but again just not as many glaring holes um maybe even talk some more scheme stuff when we're talking um you know joe brady ronald curry uh coming in as a coach Uh, we can you know kind of dive into some of the exosos there with another week under a belt of, of film that we can watch. Yeah. And hopefully the bills don't change like three coaches. On the <laughs> I know <staff> right? <laughs> next week. And not only like, even if it would have happened yesterday or Monday, but like on Wednesday and not even Wednesday morning, like Wednesday afternoon, like just <laughs> man, like the immediate pivot that we had to hit was just, yeah, so funny. Um, but yeah, that offensive conversation is going to be fun. Cause I think, you know, and I, I talked about some of it um, on disguise coverage last night. I think there's a lot of just general, 
Oh, Bills need a wide receiver. Oh, like Bills need speed. They need specific roles and skill sets yes. for those wide receiver positions. And we're going to break that down for you next week's yep. episode of the film room um, with, of course, film because we provide we show our work here. That's my favorite phrase. <laughs> that One of my favorite phrases from you. Yeah, the whole show your work thing. Um, Yeah. And then that's going to this episode and next week's episode really set the table. And then before we know it. Free agency officially starts on March 13th, Wednesday, March 13th. So Monday, March 11th after I think it's 4 p.m. that day is when like the legal tampering starts. So announcements will start trickling through. Like we're basically a month away from free agency starting. Yeah. So once we get through these defensive and offensive, you know, kind of set the table episodes, we will start getting into the weeds for free agent targets, breaking down film. Perhaps Eric has another, you know, crystal ball Nostradamus moment with Daquan Jones coming through. We can, uh, <laughs> you know, hit, hit on some guys with that. But yeah, whether it's draft, whether it's uh, free agency pieces, advanced metrics, film, anything and everything for the Bills and just ball in general, we will have you covered every single week, live Wednesday, 7 p.m., week in and week out here in the Cover One Film Room. Eric, as you start to wind down here, any thoughts for the people? Anything high level, any small detail piece, any you know limericks or poems you want to read for everyone you know whatever you got on your mind no no my uh my thing is hey make sure to check both of our timelines on twitter because we're both hammering out draft stuff we're both hammering out film from free agents uh some of the stuff we talked about tonight i posted several d tackle and edge mm. uh free agents um that the bills could target in the tiers that they can afford so <laughs> yeah. get to uh, both of our timelines to take a look at some of that film, some of those scouting reports on those guys as we move forward. I always get like, I'm so like, my, my timeline reflects it. Like I'll be like watching like somebody college wise. And then I'm like, like earlier today and yeah. I, I didn't post nope. anything for him, but I was like, I was watching Cole Bishop, Bishop and uh, Sion Vaki from Utah. Mm -hmm. And then I was mm -hmm. like, I wonder what Julian Blackman looked like last year for the Colts. So then I stopped doing that and I pulled up some Colts film. He came from the same like, same school too, because then Blackman did go to Utah. Exactly. Same that's system. what maybe yeah. that's what yeah. made me click it. Um, because I was like, Julian Blackman's a free agent. And I was like, huh. So then I finished that Utah game yeah. and then I went to grab Julian Blackman, like with free agency <laughs> and draft and the needs that they have. Yeah, it's all um over the place, but it's awesome, like to be able to get into the weeds and be able to you know, provide the, the analysis and valuation on all these guys. And yeah, so follow, uh, Eric has the cover one account. So at cover and the number one, no space, no underscores, nothing like that. And then Eric has his personal account as well as well at Eric J Turner. You can find me on Twitter at pro underscore underscore ant it's pro two underscores a N T. So yeah, the Twitter timelines. And of course the show every week, 7 PM Eastern, we will have you covered. That'll do it for us here in this episode of the film room. Uh, if you haven't already, please, please, please thank you. Drop a like on this video. Likes are the lifeblood of these streams with how they impact the algorithm and help us as the, as a brand. So if you have not already, whether you're watching live or watching later, please, please, please thank you. Drop a like on this video here on YouTube. If you would be so kind, if you're listening on one of the podcasting apps or platforms, that's cool too. Please rate and review and subscribe to the cover one film room on those podcasting apps and platforms. Turn on notifications for the film room and the playlist here on YouTube, and then subscribe to the cover one channel as a whole here on YouTube. We have you covered now without the post game show. We only have you covered <laughs> five basic, uh, yeah, five days a week. Nope. <laughs> Yeah, five days a week, depending on when Greg does the Greg Thompson sports mm -hmm. show. So only five days a week, no more, you know, six and seven. I guess we're kind of slacking here, but we have you covered yeah. with anything and everything. Buffalo Bills, different levels of, you know, entertainment pieces, different level of depth, depending on what you're looking for. So go give the whole channel a checkout. 
And thank you to everyone who wrote with us live in this episode. Mm -hmm. Thank you for all the back and forth and engagement in the chat. We know it's the, you know, kind of the slow time of year and things can get wonky, but you know, seeing everybody in here tonight was awesome. We appreciate you folks and the constant support you send our way. We hope you and your family and friends and loved ones are all doing well and staying safe. Be kind to one another, take care of one another. We will see you next Wednesday for an offensive version of this episode of the film room Wednesday, 7 PM Eastern Valentine's day, February 14th. So, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe we'll, Give Valentine's to everybody and have some chocolates and all that kind of stuff, fun <laughs> stuff on the show. Uh, until then, I'm Anthony Prohaska. That's Eric Turner. Godspeed. And as always, go Bills.